Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Agile Pubcast. Yes, it's that time when Jeff Watts and Paul Goddard sit in the pub, drink a pint and talk about all things Agile. Just a reminder, you can still leave us a comment on SoundCloud if you listen there or if you subscribe on your iPhone via iTunes, please leave us a review. We'd just like to thank all of our listeners and we've recently surpassed 5,000 listens of this podcast so we're really pleased that you're enjoying it. And as long as you're enjoying it, we'll still record them as often as we can. So without further ado, let's play the jingle. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Agile Podcast. We're back in sunny Cardiff. Just about sunny. Cardiff. A bit cloudy. A bit like yeah. my cider. Good shout. Good shout. See what you've done there. Bit of a link. Mm-hmm. What kind of cider are you drinking today? Fruity cider. It's a bit of a dessert cider. Just we just had <laughs> we just, we've just had lunch, so I went for something sweet. This is a raspberry cider by Sheppies, is it not? Did it have a name? I yeah. Uh, no, I think it was just Sheppies. This is Sheppies raspberry cider, which is very nice. And you want to give us a what taste of raspberries? Okay. It, it's dank of raspberries. Mm. See, I, I prefer raspberries to strawberries. When my kids have dessert at home, they'll always choose strawberries. I always choose raspberries. Love a raspberry. I think a raspberry can go off and not taste as nice as a strawberry. I think a strawberry stays nice longer. When it's a bit, yeah, a bit so- soggy. And Nigel's back with us. Nigel, what are you drinking? Hello, Nigel. Nice. My welcome. Now. I thought I was going to just be completely ignored and have no, to be my yeah. own special guest star moment. <laughs> special guest star on the podcast. Mm. Nigel Baker is drinking, I believe, a Cirrus cider or Cyrus cider. Cirrus, Cirrus. Of the cloud. The cloud no, the cloud. Um, very nice. Medium, so halfway between a seafood and a cloudy cider. Mm. Medium taste as well, with an interesting kick at the back of the throat that I'm rather enjoying, actually. Mm, good. Well, ironically, seeing as it's named after a cloud, not particularly cloudy. No, well, not. I would say I was you, expecting can, a cloud. You, can, you can barely see my fingers through the cider. I can so, see your ring. <laughs> Steady on. It's an wedding ring. Yes, thank you. Um, but but still, it's hard to see. It's tra- as you said, Paul, translucent. Yes, yes, correct. correct. We're looking at correct. opaque. Scientific term. Opaque. Opaque. It's not opaque. That's something solid. No, it doesn't. That's opaque means you can't see through it at all. Yeah. I thought opaque I've was like, a, like I've got like a degree a, in physics, thank you. I thought opaque was like when it was like misty. No, that's translucent. That's translucent. So opaque is thicker again. Opaque is. You, can't you see cannot through see through it. Oh, so it's like a wall's opaque. Solid, yes. Well, how interesting. They're saying you every day. Thank you, guys. <laughs> I never just said a wall was opaque. Point yeah, opaque. 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 What would you say then if it wasn't opaque? You'd say it's solid. Yeah, because it's solid. And also opaque. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> we digress. Mm. I'm drinking a celebrity cider. Ooh. One that's made by status quo. The real status quo. The real status quo. Well, what's left of it? Has that yeah. had the real Francis Rossi, I believe you said the name was, Paul? Yes, correct. The real Francis Rossi's feet all over those, those apples. Oh, yeah, well, I don't tr- know about tr- that. Probably themselves. They probably just put their name to it these days. We're right? in the army now. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're in the army now. Well, this one, <laughs> this, this one's called Down Tar- Down. Target. Deeper and Down. Deeper and Down. Get Down. Uh, Deeper and down. Supposedly, it's a, a bespoke cider of distinction that offers a refined pedigree based on character and tradition. None of that actually describes the no. cider, though, does it? It's just all like no, words. It doesn't really uh, give me anything. So I'm going to have to do this myself. 
So Jeff always does it the proper way. It tastes, pauses, and then gives us a verdict. My first impression was sweet, but the more you taste it, the less sweet it gets. Kind of like status quo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's certainly, it's very pleasant. Yeah, very drinkable. It's still, it's not a sparkling side. I think mine is 4%. What's yours? The stronger we don't know. Didn't look at Mine was five percent. Yeah, I think I think it was about five something like that. It wasn't. It wasn't a massive strong one. Massive strong one. Massive. <laughs> I did see a nine point two up there, which I steered well clear of. Yeah, but, but if you need to, like, I don't know, uh, take the paint off the wall. Yeah, exactly. Nine percent will do. So we've uh, we've got another. This isn't. This is an email rather than a tweet we've had. Okay. In because because last time I was with you guys, you answered some questions oh, ago, from some of all. Yeah. yeah. You asked some questions from some of your listeners. Have you had a good chat about that? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so we're going. This to is a, This is an email from Andy. Andy. Andy Leontovich. Le- well, Leontovich. Leontovich or Leontovich, depending on Leontovich. your pronunciation. Does he play for football for Serbia? He doesn't say. Um, but with that name, I, I I I'd be happy to believe that. So we don't know where he's from. Doesn't say where he's from. No, I have his email address, which I'm obviously not going to give out. <laughs> no, don't do that. <coughs> but Andy would know who he is. So Andy, tell us where. Tweet us in or email back and tell us where you're from. Yeah. So um, it's, it's a relatively reach it's a relatively lengthy question, which I suppose is why he chose email over Twitter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'll, I'll read it out. Andy says he was reading through Gene Tobaker's collaboration explained. Very good book. Great book. And there's a line about teams of trust that sparked a thought for him. Trust versus fear or anger motivates the collaborative team. So Gene's there saying it's trust that motivates a collaborative team rather than fear or anger. And the thought that occurred to Andy was to build a team of, team of trust, some kind of maturity needs to occur before trust is allowed to fill in for fear or anger. And at some point in the last five years, he says, I realise that if I do my job to the best of my abilities and understanding, regardless of what anyone else thinks, I have no reason to fear losing my job. I won't get fired because I'm not doing my work, it will be for something else, probably something I have less control over. And as for the fear of what other people think, I've learned firsthand that what you do in your work will always receive some criticism from somebody. Transparency in my work doesn't guarantee understanding or even approval. Some folks aren't going to like me or what I'm doing, but some folks will appreciate me too. Currently, my team is driven by fear, fear of losing one's job, fear of not completing their work, fear of what others will think of them. I've done retrospectives to expose these fears and to get my team to think about their impact. The one-on-ones I've done have led me to understand the fears are deeply rooted and each team member doesn't want to do anything with them. Would you be willing to talk about this maturity and how to coax it into existence? Wow. So what we're talking about here is a team that has some some deep-rooted fears of security, um, consequence, and Andy's assumption there is that in order for them to get to a point where they can trust one another, they need to be mature. And is that, do you, think, do you think he means, or do we mean by that, a time-related maturity, or is that a relationship-related maturity? Yeah, it could be either, I suppose. Um, so I guess the, 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 if we were to boil this down, is it, do you need maturity to develop trust, or do you need trust in order to mature? Mm. I'm not necessarily sure it's linear. I think it's something that's very, very iterative, a very small iterative cycle. Yeah. And something that snowballs, in my experience. Yeah. Um, something where you can trust you can trust somebody 
on something that doesn't have a huge amount of consequence, but can then prove to you that they are worthy of your trust. Mm. And then we've developed a bond, which will then increase my level of trust for the next time. And sometimes it, that can be some kind of event um, collapse, or you know, some kind of um, I don't know. I'm not going to say catastrophe, but some kind of crisis. Let's yeah. say yeah. that that they you know, basically galvanizes people together when they when they ultimately need to step up mm -hmm. or to cover for each other or to uh, deliver a challenge. Or maybe in the face of adversity, when every, all the the odds are against you, is that might be a time where a team either crumbles or actually finds a, a reason to bind together. It's interesting. It's, it's the, it's, it, it doesn't have to be awful, but it's the quest for me, the, the journey. We're on it together. We discover that we're in it together. We discover that we are as a group yeah. more than as an individual. You know, and there's all that classic Tuckman's thing. You know, the forming, storming, norming, performing thing. Yeah. And I know these models always wrong, but you can get a lot of learning from them, especially for me. That sort of journey through strife, as you were describing, yeah. and the forming of a group. You know, did he mention the word? I just trying to remember that it was a long email. It was really well, well written, I thought, and well articulated. You know, I'm not sure people need to um, like each other, no, or, or even fit in. It's just you have to have a respect for the other people you work with. You know, think trust. So you and have to have a respect for the person or for their role. Respect for, for their work, I think. For their for their duty, for their yeah, for their ability and yeah. their. I think that's I, the bare I, minimum. I think the bare minimum is to respect the contribution that they make. Mm. Yeah, uh, but if you can perhaps play. also respect their human values mm -hmm. that are perhaps yeah. non-work related. Because mm. I've known teams that have comprised people that actually really dislike each other, but yeah. can still deliver. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They can still deliver. They respect each other's work mm -hmm. and how they work. Just mm. not those with their life choices. Mm. Mm. But obviously, what what the what the fear is, you know, because it's all well and good to say, oh, once we build a relationship, we'll be less scared. But if there's an outside force they're scared of, yeah. it doesn't matter how good our relationship is. The fear of the outside force is still but strong. But if, if it's a common fear, this is, again, this, is, this is the one that um, well, outside, out, sorry, an outside force can be a huge, huge motivator. The yeah. Outsider. You know, that siege mentality. Yeah. That, yeah. And I know a lot of, we've, we've digressed into sports a lot, but sports coaches will often use that siege mentality tactic to get their players focused and energised and together. You know, all the media are against us. Mm. Nobody wants us to win. We're the, the underdogs. underdogs. Yeah. And you know, that, 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 we're yeah. not them. We are us. That kind of thing yeah. can, can be quite mm. interrupted. No, it's fine. I can't remember what I was going to say anyway. We've got to make sure it's sufficiently outside, else it could build a very suboptimal organisation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Imagine that was your boss, let's say, for instance. Yeah. In the short term, you could build a great siege mentality, but in the long term, yeah. it's not. Yeah. Well, yes, I've remembered now. Um, this again, I, we talk about about sports. I'm talking a lot about our family. Um, my daughter's just, um, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, and she'll, she'll, maybe she'll listen to these when she's older, and she'll. Um, She'll remember these times, but she, she's got a fear, right? She's got a phobia of, of lifts. Okay. She doesn't like getting into lifts, and she's um, she gets quite traumatized by it. And you know, about even so much as when we're going on holiday, that she'll say the first thing she'll say is, "Yeah, we're going to a hotel," and she'll say, "Is there going to be a lift?" So she, it's almost like kind of mm -hmm. thinking it six months and years mm -hmm. ahead. 
and it was confronted in the, in the classroom. The, the, the teacher kind of did a whole session on worries and fears. And what um, what transpired was during that session that, that Jocelyn, my daughter, is almost didn't realise that it wasn't the same fear, but that everyone has fears. Mm. And sometimes taking away that kind of when you feel it's all about your own. Yeah, normalisation. Yeah, everyone's worried about something. Yeah. We all have worries about something at some some levels. And lots of the children told about the yeah, I don't like the dark or I don't like you know. And they talked about just just sharing those things um, is a way to perhaps not remove the fear, but at least agree. Name this. it. Yeah. Name it is important. Yeah. But it's interesting you bring up that fear because I had exactly the same fear as a child. Oh, this two this as a child. I know the three things that set it off. And it could be interesting to connect back to the question that was asked. Because the three things that set me off on this is one, um, culture. My mother was terrified of lifts. All right, so, okay. okay yeah. So I didn't really realize that as a youth. That may have had a subconscious affair. She hid that back. The second one was um, uh, storytelling. So I think the last podcast we did, if I remember, we spoke a bit about narratives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember seeing it. This is very embarrassing. I saw an episode of the cartoon Spider Woman. Right. Back in the early eighties, and Spider Woman was in a lift. The lift cable broke. Right, and I think that was. With that. I remember seeing that and having this feeling of dread. Right, like, oh my God, there's a narrative that this could fall. Yeah, and the third thing was experience. My two older brothers, mm. who were ten to fifteen years older than me, in a lift, mashing the buttons when I'm two or three messing around, <laughs> and they jammed the lift doors by right. mashing the buttons. Did that actually happen though? Actually happened. Were you in I was the in, lift? I was in the lift. They were messing around with the buttons, the lift doors jammed for a good 10 or 12 seconds mm. and then opened back up. So not, not at all weird. It's interesting how, how, I mean, imagine how this can, can happen yeah. in, in the office. Yeah. There's, a, there's a threat of fear. There's real yeah. fear and there's yeah. a threat of fear. Yeah. The, the, uh, the fact that my, my daughter um, then uh, amplifies stories that yeah. she thinks she hears in the classroom. So yeah. she'll come back to us and say, well, another girl in the class, she's been stuck in a lift for 24 hours. And then that's yeah. off, that's that's obviously yeah. been embellished yeah. by other children in the class and, yeah. and kind of as Jeff would say, yeah. catastrophized yeah. by other Good children in the class. Yeah. But a lot of those those fears are ill founded. Yeah. But I think sometimes fears are personal. People might have been scarred to think of this yeah. example from the question, people might have been scarred by a previous project or by yeah. a previous job even. Yeah. yeah. Not even right now, but in a previous job I was told off or yeah. I might have been late to deliver something and it's come back and affected mm. me personally. Sometimes people just hear stories within mm. the organisation yeah. about, well, this, did you hear about what happened to this guy when this happened? Do Which me- largely are not true. Do you remember when you were going to go to secondary school at 11 years old? What happens at secondary schools? I always remember being told, they flush your head down the toilet. <laughs> and you go up there, they do. You know, they do. They flush your head down the toilet. It's what happens at secondary schools. I have never seen that happen. No. And I went to one of the roughest schools in the country. I've never seen that happen. Mm. But the stories spread. Yeah. The... the the, the scary narrative, the, 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 the ghost story. Mm. And I think for me, the three things I brought up, she was describing the prior experience, exaggerated, uh, hearing other people's stories and believing them. And the third one is, of course, the, the un- unintentional culture of the environment can all lead you towards those spaces. So, so for him, I'll try and discuss <clears throat> those three things. Okay, so normalization, making it clear that you know, everyone has that everyone, kind of... Everyone's probably experienced similar yeah, fears in the we're past. we're all kind of scared of something, insecure about something. But would you confront that at a human level or a corporate level? Well, I don't want to say, I don't want to say. Okay. There's, the, there's also the, um, the internal catastrophizing that we do. Yeah. Until we actually put it out yeah. there and, and name 
our actual fears and say, well, actually, what are we worried about happening? Mm-hmm. See it in front of us, perhaps on paper, or verbally hear it ourselves. Can we realize and assess which of those fears are actually real mm-hmm. and which of them probably wouldn't happen on the balance of probability? Mm-hmm. Sounds like Andy's gone through that himself. Mm-hmm. He said, over the last five years, mm-hmm. I've come to realize that actually, I'm not going to get fired. As yeah. long as I do a good job, yeah. I'm not going to get fired for that. If I am going to get fired, it's going to be for something outside my control. He's mm-hmm. rationalized. Yeah. 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 And probably we others need to go through that process as well. Um, maybe, maybe there are some unknowns. Maybe maybe there is a fear that we might lose our job if something happens. Well, perhaps we could check that. We could clarify that. Yeah. And if that's the case, then at least yeah. we know. Yeah. Worrying yeah. about it isn't going to help. Yeah. Um, but at least we know. Um, and then looking at the... from a, uh, uh, think about things from a Scrum Master perspective. We're taking what you're saying there, and I was thinking of but the team perspective, the individual yeah. perspective, but also looking at the cultural perspective, yeah. you know, the, the environment, the surrounding... Yeah. Uh, culture and how that's contributing to that and where perhaps we don't need to address things at, at that level perhaps we could look at the behavior that management are are, are, are exhibiting that actually could be exacerbating these, these fears so I think that's, that's pretty good pretty good assessment of that question yeah did I summarize that yeah that's good yeah, that's pretty good and in the end how do I get over my fear of lifts yeah by riding a lift straight away no. So there's the throw them in the deep end yeah. school of thought, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. there's the, um, yeah. oh, what's the word? Gradual exposure. Yeah. There's gradual exposure for me. I gradually started writing in lifts. Yeah. I think I started One doing floor. it. Um, no, I think Big it lifts, actually, small lifts? I think it was actually more enclosed lifts, yeah. large buildings, British Telecom. Okay. <laughs> really? Yeah, that long. Because, wow. um, well, it hadn't been lifts, but some buildings we worked in, they just couldn't access. 15 flights. Yeah, in a hotel, you've just got to do the lift. Makes like sense. Yeah. And then work your way up to the see through lifts. But the other thing, what my children are doing at the moment, which is brilliant, is they're the children's show on CBeebies called Do You Know? Which basically explains to four year olds how things work in real life. Yep. And it's brilliant, and I watch it. Because a lot of there's, a, there's gaps in my knowledge as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like, yeah, wow, absolutely. that's how things work. Yeah, I unbelievably so. And some obvious things, like how do you make bricks? Yeah. And you have to think about it, I, actually, I never consciously aware how they made a brick. And it tells you in four-year-old language how they make bricks. Mm-hmm. And so it's explaining some of these things that they would be quite frightened the of. Yeah. They understand how these things work. And I think I should take a month off work and watch a month's worth of those programs. You should, and you'll be a better person for it, genuinely. The yeah. interesting you mentioned about working your way up to, to glass yeah. elements. Yeah. Because I can imagine that for some people that would be the first step before being in a completely enclosed area. Oh, yeah. Because they yeah. could rationalise, well, I could yeah. signal for help yeah. or... I can see where it's I worth am. working out what their fear is. Yeah. And my fear was plummeting to death. Yeah. My mother's fear was actually in closed spaces. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a closed space. So for her, glass lift would be better. Yeah. So it's interesting to know that and to be able to work with that. And, but I think the main one is, as we can't push people into that. They need to pull themselves through it. So how do we create environments for pull for them yeah. to try, for them to learn, for them to understand the context? It's um, almost something I think people need to work on for themselves, isn't it? Because some you have to want to get over that. Yeah, in some yeah. respects, group group therapy or you know, group group sessions aren't necessarily going to no. help that. No. They might make it worse. They might force people more defensively. Yeah. So it's almost like it reminds me of that reducing the concerns part of the um, the Raman stuff we've done just mm-hmm. about before. It's about trying to just list out all the potential consequences and then yeah. and immediately trying to eliminate half of them. Yeah. Which ones are quite, you know, probability-wise, uh, never going to happen. Yeah. And then immediately then you cut the problem in half. Yeah. yeah. So just actually trying to tangibly yeah. visualise 
uh, the concerns. So bearing in mind that Andy's not dealing with a team that are scared of lefts. Yeah. What? What? How would we bring this directly back to Andy and his team that are scared of losing their job? Anything else that we can? Oh, I would do what you described. What could the actual consequences be? Mm -hmm. What are the actual fears of failure? What what, what failure cases can they imagine? Yeah. Um, expose out the system around them. Show how the proverbial lift works. So this is actually the system which this happens within. So you're worried about, let's say, a senior boss firing you. Yeah. This is actually how the mechanics of the system work. So you can see it obviously wouldn't happen. You know. So we can explain the uh, the performance management process. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so a bit of an education. Yeah. Um, you, Paul, you asked, and I said I'll come back to it, but I didn't. Um, at the individual level or the team level, you, yeah. you were asking. So, so what do you think? If Andy, should Andy deal with this at the team level, or should he bring it one-on-one? Uh, -on -one? I would do both, um, because there's certain stuff that I could work out with, with my colleagues, but there's certain stuff in a colleague's environment that just becomes even more awkward. Mm. And so, it's, but, uh, I, I would suggest not just one-to-ones with him, but with yeah. each other. Mm -hmm. Could they perhaps have a chat with each other, peer stuff, mm -hmm. see if that gets some conversation pieces out? So we don't want them to be necessarily scared of us. <laughs> you know, well, we may be, not realise yeah. it, but that could be us. Maybe Andy's the problem. Yeah, uh, not that it is, but there's the fear. Yeah. So we give them tools to allow them to work around that as well. So just peer, have a peer one-to-one -one with each other. Say, let's have a chat. What could go wrong? What's, what do we I say? I think addressing my personal view, I think, would probably be to to see if we can have a conversation about. What, the, what we as a team are worried about. Yeah. So that we're all yeah. looking at solving that problem. We can prove to ourselves that we, we, we can go through the process of mitigating and perhaps eliminating yeah. a team level fear yeah. and a process that we could probably apply individually yeah. as well. Uh, so that we're all together on this rather than this is my own yeah. personal battle. Uh, there, was, there was an interesting point, I'm just going to revisit what, what Andy said, because there was something right towards the end where he says, each team member doesn't want to do anything yeah. with the fears that they, they've understood. So, and we said you've got to want to cure that phobia, right? Yeah. So you, you've got to pull rather than be pushed onto them. Mm. Um, so, what's, why wouldn't you? That would be a question that would be forefront of my mind. If there's something that's worrying me, that's, that's affecting me, that's bothering me, why wouldn't I want to resolve that? Is it because I don't feel I can? Is it because I'm worried about admitting it? Is it because. I'm worried that actually trying to solve it could get me into a more difficult situation. Well, um, imagine, again, to take it outside that example for a moment, a smoker. Mm -hmm. Why does a smoker smoke? Why does a smoker want to quit? Secondary game. You know, there's all, all, all these <clears> justifications why people smoke, all these justifications why they should quit yeah. smoking, yeah. but why do they keep smoking? Mm -hmm. Because they like smoking, you know. So my fear is sometimes if some people have a, a reasoning mm -hmm. behind not doing something, and that is post-rationalisation, you just really don't want to do something. Well, I, 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 I use the term secondary gain for, for a behaviour yeah. that seems irrational. Yeah. I, mean, I operate on the principle that most people operate rationally. Yeah. And so if they're, if they're doing something that seems irrational, then they're getting something else from it that perhaps yeah. you can't see at the moment. Whether it's security, whether it's curing a craving, yeah. whether yeah. it's attention that we're getting yeah. because we have yeah. the phobia. Whatever it is, there's, 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 a, there's a secondary gain we probably need to address. We need to be able to replace whatever they're getting from this behaviour another yeah. way. Does that make sense? Yeah. And for me, it could be that um, fear could be the excuse to avoid responsibility. Yeah. yeah. So I don't want to have to worry about work. I've got enough stress at home. Mm -hmm. I just want to come in and type. 
you know, that type of thing. I'm not saying it could be that type of thing. That's a perfectly reasonable answer, by the way. Like, I'm stressed enough at home, I don't want to get stressed in there. Um, I wouldn't say it's sensible in career terms, but I could see the rationalisation behind it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it'd be worth investigating that as well. It's just there's more conditions in that email that unspoken conditions that I think would be interesting. Because well, so people aren't normally scared for no reason. No, 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 no. And what may seem trivial to you going into this mm-hmm. can be a huge thing for somebody else. Yeah, exactly. Right? So we've got, to, we've got to appreciate that. Um, another thing that just, just struck me there is that actually a lot of what we've been talking about here actually does require a fair degree of confidence in the relationship to be able to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking about do you need trust to be able to be mature or do you need maturity to be yeah. trusting? To be able to have those conversations requires a huge amount of trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if, if we are fearful, how do we talk about our fears? Well, we need to be confident to be able to share that with somebody. So would you be more comfortable sharing that with somebody on your team or outside of your team? Somebody who has management responsibility for you or somebody who doesn't? Yeah, it's interesting because I was going to say time is a major factor here. Mm. Just spending time working with people you pick up an appreciation for them as a human being, whether we call it Tuttons or whatever, just you get to know them at a deeper level. Yeah. You get to build a bit of a social bond. Yeah. So that's one one fact to take into account. Uh, my, my, my deep strategy sounds like it's too so it's planned out, it's not really, but um, I genuinely wouldn't expect anybody to share anything with me that I wouldn't be, able, wouldn't be prepared to share the same level of vulnerability with them. Mm. So, yeah, I would... I would be happy to, I was expecting some level of disclosure from them, I would be prepared to offer some disclosure myself. That kind of matching. Here's the funny thing, I get people tell me more, tr- and this is a generalisation, so I'll probably be accepting as untrue, but I have people tell me and tell each other on courses stuff they don't tell me when I go coaching. Really? And that's an odd dynamic, I've just realised Where that. was the course? So it would just be like a public course or a private course. So people, off-site? Yeah, off-site. Maybe with strangers, with strangers that will share something that if yes. I go coaching and I'm working with them for weeks, they may not tell me. Yeah. But because I'm a stranger or they're talking to a stranger, they could just go flirt. Like I had this, which I will now anonymize because it is very personal. Um, when I first started dating my now wife, um, we were in a bar in Bristol, and I, I think we had been on a date or something. So we weren't really dating; we just sort of, and so they didn't. So we were both in the same party. But no one knew we were actually. Just been a couple, a couple of dates, yeah. couple. So someone I knew spoke to my now wife and told her some very personal stuff very quickly that none of the rest of us knew. Very quickly. And of course my wife, being new and not knowing anyone, told me a little while later. And I was like, wow, that's never been shared with anyone ever. But you as a complete stranger, she thought she was telling a complete stranger, didn't realise the connection, shared something quite deep and truthful. Mm. And that was quite interesting to a stranger outside a bar, verbally, rather than a friend who's been for a decade. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And that sort of stuff dynamic seems to happen sometimes. Some people are more comfortable telling strangers. Well, that's interesting when you mention you don't really get that as a coach. I get, I probably get, I get what you're saying with the training, and I see that. But the fact that I am an external agent yeah. as a coach yeah. for a team, then I often get that. I've, I've been asked to mediate. Yeah. Um, tribunals and disciplinary yeah. things because the, those team members trust me yeah. rather than an internal yeah. HR person yeah. and things like this. Mm. Um, so that, that can be another thing to try and you know, perhaps engage somebody who isn't quite as involved yeah. Yeah. in that discussion. Yeah. 
there's one couple of things that I mentioned. I can now remember one of them. No, I've got them. So one, the first was around informality. That does the environment and the social dynamic need to change, and will that expose different yeah. behaviours and different honesties and different? If people don't feel like they're being watched, yeah. listened to, listened to, then some of the fears might find it easier to surface. That sort of thing. And the other thing I was, I was thinking about then was was playing. So people pay less, much less attention to um, being too afraid or, or wanting, worrying about winning or losing if they feel like they're playing. So I do, in retrospectives, doing some kind of game that art, almost artificially exposes a fear that we have, and being able to laugh at it, yeah. and being, and then maybe not laughing at it, or just being able to say say it in a social capacity which doesn't have any reflection at all on my performance yeah. or my ability to deliver. Yeah. It's just a throwaway bit of fun. Yeah. I'll, I'll build on that if I may. Yes, you may. <clears throat> so a few years ago, I, I did some practice with a, with a technique called bibliotherapy, where people would get to, to write a story, yeah. a fictional story, yeah. uh, about uh, it was, the, the one that we were using was, was about a, a star girl, I think it was, it was called. And Stargirl was uh, asked to leave home by her parents and had to go and live on Earth for a bit with a new family. And she had to write letters back. Yeah. And you had to write home as if you were Stargirl. You had to write a letter yeah. home to your parents. So you'd write this letter out and then you'd read it out. And basically, I'll cut the long story short. Basically, when you're, you're writing as somebody else, you're kind of writing through your own mind. Right? So yeah. You're writing as you. Yeah. But it's anonymised through yeah. somebody else. Uh, it's a really effective technique for kids to be able to say what they need to say without yeah. having to say this is me. Yeah. Uh, and I thought it's really interesting. I just went along to this, this, this workshop on it. Yeah. But really interesting for, for stereotype and generalizing. But a lot of people in the, in the areas that we work are relatively quite introverted, don't like talking about themselves, mm. but actually have a lot to say. Mm. To be able to anonymize it and put it in the words of somebody else, mm -hmm. just to get it out there, mm -hmm. yeah, hypothetically speaking. My friend, yeah. that kind of thing, yeah, exactly, can be a good way to break the ice. Then, yeah, organizational change stories, yeah, as developed, but I want to, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that could be interesting, mm -hmm. yeah. But that's what they say the best stories are ones which have personal connections, aren't they? So, even yeah. if you're trying to, and Pixar, so this, I watched some stuff, interesting stuff on Pixar about storytelling and how their story writers and story artists generally their best films have come from. Even the Toy Story, as an example, came to, did an interview with the story the story artist behind Toy Story, and they originally came up with a really um, the concept was about toys in a playroom. Was it Toy Story? or Was it actually no? Forget that. Scratch that. It was Monsters Inc. They came up with the story about um, basically monsters living like humans, but it, it it died as as a concept until the artist had a baby, okay. and then the, the story emerged into something now that a monster then takes on becomes a father figure yeah. and it basically rocks it. Okay. So it's that kind of, the story is really about him and his child, yeah. but no one would ever know that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about being, we do, and my daughter does it, we went to, to um, school, uh, teachers at parents evening, yeah. and you get to read through the kids' books. Mm -hmm. And uh, her favorite, my, she was most proud of my daughter was her storybook, which she passed to me. And the stories, she's written chapters and they tell yeah. about stories, but the stories have all got characters in them from school. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, yeah. so she hasn't got the, it's not about imagination yeah. at that age, it's about connection, it's right. about 
reintroducing characters, and all the characters are, are the names of the kids in their class, yeah. but she could write stories about them. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that we'd find it easy to do that, access our own connection through the narrative art. I just realised when I did a storybook like that at the age of six in school, I wrote a story about terrorists taking me on a train. <laughs> Just don't remember that story then. Oh, really? I was like, yeah, I wonder where that came from. <laughs> like, terror in my probably own life. Spider like Woman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, something like that. It would have been, it would have been pre Die Hard, but it was basically Die Hard before Die Hard. Oh, okay. But it was like four but years they, before Die Hard. Yeah. Like four or five years before Die Hard. Could have sold it to Hollywood. Should have sold it. Um, but coming to get one last thing, um, just having cooperative games in general yeah. can help people understand people, let them fail together. Yeah. You know, Safety, yeah. I don't mean team building days a bit in there, but like there's puzzle books. Mm hmm. They're fantastic. Yeah. You know, we do them ourselves. Yeah. Just doing that as a bit of a team sport brings you together, but a sense of camaraderie, a sense of collective success and failure. Just letting people not yeah. be there in mailbox and they're not a ticket delivering machine. Yeah. Anything like that. You know, I was always very cynical of like team building days in the past, but I can just see something like that to help build that relationship that someone can turn to well, and the say, way to build I really hate this stuff. Just yeah. to solve things together. Yeah. yeah. And I think what if I'm trying to summarise my views on this, it's just start small. You yeah. don't have to trust each other with your life story. No. But you know, just just make yeah. some small commitment yeah. and prove that you can keep to that yeah. to each other. And it means something. Look each other in the eye when mm. you say, I'm going to do this. That increases the chance yeah. of it happening. Those kinds of things. Find yeah. out what you've got in common, what values you hold true to one another. Yeah. Get to know each other a little bit more. You're more likely to be committed to that, that yeah. group of people if you know them as a person. Yeah, as a human being. Just as a resource. But it's not easy. It's not. It's not quick. I know both of you have mentioned time and patience. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's something you, you work at, but you you start slow and you you, you internalize the successes. You celebrate the successes and you build. Yeah. But it's and the thing is, people build, people build teams in the most hostile environments. I don't just mean in work. I mean it's in life, the yeah. experience. You know, you see it. Human beings build tribes in difficult situations and discover common ground and work together. So it can be done in pretty much every setting, I believe. It's just the effort, the time we need to put to it. Yeah, yeah there we are. Do you think Andy will be happy with that? Well, we'll find out. <laughs> I will, I'll email him back and yes. I'll send him a link to the, Maybe. To the, the, the podcast. I just realised, actually, that we didn't mention where we were. I said we were in Cardiff, but I didn't ah. say that we were in the City Arms. Ah. City Arms, yes. City Arms, which, which is quite a, an old, uh, historic, traditional... Yeah, Welsh. one of the older oh. pubs in Cardiff, and a massive drinking um, establishment for any type of rugby international yeah. that occurs. You can see the what is now the Principality Stadium out the window. You can see it from here, so mm -hmm. we are within walking distance of the stadium. The room, the room is covered in beer mats and posters advertising. You can tell it's a beer drinking pub. Oh, it's very a beer drinking pub. <laughs> well, a, a lot of sliders as well. Yes. yes. Yeah. Anyway, that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, nice. That's good. So yeah, keep keep the questions coming. We enjoy that. How can they get in touch with us, Jeff? So you can tweet us at, at Be Agile Podcast. You can email us at Jeff at inspectingthat.com, Paul at agilify.co.uk, Nigel at agilebear.com. Don't email me, I don't care. You two guys run this thing. <laughs> um, any other ways they can contact us? Well, through our website. Through the website. Yeah, so agilify.co.uk or Jeb's is Jeff's is Jeb's. Jeff's is in uh, inspect and com, if I can say it. So, yeah, brilliant. Well, thanks, guys. Thank you very much, chaps. Drink See you again soon. Thank See you. Good question, Andy. Cheers. Cheers, Andy.